This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. Good control allows people who have asthma to lead normal, productive lives with few compromises. What controlling it does is it prevents the chronic symptoms, such as coughing, shortness of breath, it reduces the need for medication, and it maintains the health of your lungs. By doing that, you prevent asthma attacks, because asthma attacks are scary things. You have trouble breathing, and it's scary for not just you, everyone around you. Welcome to the new and improved 60-minute version of The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we'll learn about the natural treatment of asthma. We'll figure out how to marry condo your kitchen. We'll discuss aging mindfully. And lastly, we'll hear about cooking must-haves, should-wants, and don't-needs. But first, a little bit of business. Today's sponsor is Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's Unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with that great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try Activated Charcoal and Mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely Natural. Joel Thuna is a master herbalist and general manager of Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality of the natural products on the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. Joel's article in the May issue of Tonic is just in time for spring, and it's all about the natural treatment of asthma. Welcome back to the show. Thank you as always. It's my pleasure. So asthma tends to flare up. My, my son has asthma and, and it, it's seasonal because it's connected to allergies mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of triggers for asthma are sort of allergy triggers. Correct. But let's discuss what is asthma and what are the symptoms for those who don't know. Definitely. Um, well, the first thing off I'd like to say, if, if you look around, you'll see that it seems as though everyone either themselves suffers from asthma or has a relative who is, right. whereby when you and I were kids... It was rare. Very rare. It was rare. It's, it seems a little strange, and it's that's like what the, triggered this. It's like the whole peanut allergy thing. We've Correct. discussed that before. Yeah. When we were growing up, everybody had peanut butter sandwiches for lunch, but now you can't bring peanuts or peanut butter into schools. Nope. And my son is also anaphylactic. So, oh. you know, there you go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Asthma, unfortunately, it's a chronic lung disease, and the most unfortunate part is once diagnosed, it lasts a lifetime. There is no cure, absolutely none, no matter what anyone tells you. There is no cure. But the goal is to effectively manage it. And if you manage it properly, you can lead a completely productive life and not be bothered by it. What asthma does is it causes your lungs to be sensitive and your airways that carry the air to your lungs to be restricted by swelling and mucus. And so it restricts them, it closes off. The swelling of mucus closes them off, so you get less air, makes it harder to breathe. Right. Obviously, that's a problem. Yes. It also causes inflammation and narrowing of the airways aside from the mucus. Right. And that further restricts the amount of air going through. The other tricky part about it is your airways tend to react strongly to certain inhaled substances, which are triggers, and it causes periods of wheezing, chest tightness, shortening of breath, 
and persistent coughing, often at night or just after wake up. And the wheezing is the thing most people notice first because it's a whistling sound when you breathe that you can't stop. Yes. And properly treated, though, you know, there were famous athletes. I remember famously uh, Bobby Clark for Philadelphia was asthmatic and was the captain of the team. So And an amazing player. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, And there are lots of athletes now who have these conditions, and they are controllable. So even though it's chronic and you can't be cured, you can live a normal life if you're careful. Oh, definitely. Science has made great strides, even in the past decade, in the treatment of asthma. So who's affected by asthma? How do you get it? Well, it can affect people at any age, but it's most often found starting in childhood. Right. In Canada, it's a little over 8% are actually diagnosed, not self-reporting, are actually clinically diagnosed, which turns out to almost 2.5 million of us. Wow. So it's not as rare as people think. Right. And that's actually quite surprising. Is it genetic or do people develop it? How does it work? Well, that's another reason it's really tricky is the exact cause of asthma, although science has made great strides, we still don't know that. Researchers believe that it can be caused by the interaction between genetics and environmental factors, which, of course, is massive amounts of combinatorics. So, But what we do know is your risk increases if your parents have asthma, Yes, you have a respiratory infections during childhood, you have contact with airborne allergens or exposure to some viral infections in infancy or early childhood while your immune system is developing so right. that it has some sort of change to your immune system, or you have exposure to irritants, i.e. tobacco smoke, automobile exhaust, significant amounts, while your airways are growing and developing as an, as an infant or a child. Right. And a lot of people who have, there's a correlation between people who have allergies and who have eczema. Yes. Because I know that that's an issue. Like my family, I have eczema. I never developed asthma. My son has uh, allergies and eczema and he has asthma. It's all related to the immune system. The problem is we just don't know how it's related. Okay. And hopefully in the near future, we will. Right. Okay. So in your article, you mentioned possible causes. And one of the issues that people are looking at is this notion of the hygiene hypothesis. Yes. Do you want to explain what that is and what that's about? Sure. The hygiene hypothesis uh, came out in in the 70s, but really gained a lot of traction through the 80s and 90s, and now is considered to be a valid hypothesis for for numerous things that have to do with our immune system, asthma and allergies being two very specific ones. And what the theory is, is that our modern lifestyle in North America has an obsession with hygiene. A ridiculous obsession when you when you compare it to even 20 years ago, right. whereby everyone washes your hands incredibly. There's no dust around. I remember the old adage when you and I were kids is, go outside, play, get dirty. Right. It is true. I remember as a kid yeah. playing around and actually eating dirt. It happened. Yeah. Nowadays, I'm parents not, will be I'm horrified. Not, I'm not admitting whether I ever <laughs> ate dirt. That's not an admission I'm prepared to make on this show, but I understand. And good for you, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> and... This hygiene, what it ends up happening is it reduces our exposure when we're young and right. our immune system's developing to all these items that our immune system needs to react to to right. grow. And the big leap in the hygiene hypothesis, it was the introduction of antibacterial soaps 
and antibacterial pumps and the, the hand sanitizers everyone has. I remember when those exploded on the market. Everyone had to have it. Right. It's a yin-yang thing, though, because, you know, cleanliness next to godliness, right? Everybody tells you the best way to not catch a cold or a flu is to wash your hands and not touch things that are dirty, right? So As adults, yes. Right. But the problem is, as kids, we need to be exposed to all those germs, for lack right. of a better phrase, no, your body, for immune system to build. Right. Our bodies need to learn how to deal with these pathogens so that, that basically it can fend them off when we really need them to. And when we're young and they're harmless, but what they do is they, they imprint themselves in our immune system so that our immune system later on in life, when it's not so harmless, can react. All right. So if there's no cure, how do we control asthma? As you said, the goal is to control it. Good control allows people who have asthma to lead normal, productive lives with few compromises. As you said, there are, there are many athletes now who have asthma. Now, what controlling it does is it prevents the chronic symptoms, such as coughing, shortness of breath. It reduces the need for medication, and it maintains the health of your lungs. And by doing that, you prevent asthma attacks because asthma attacks are scary things. Yes. They really are. You have trouble breathing and it, it's, it's scary for not just you, everyone around you. Well, they can be fatal. They can be. Thankfully, not very often, but they can be fatal if left untreated. Right. Yes, definitely. So what control involves is working to manage other conditions that can interfere with your asthma management. For example, diabetes, any other lung issues, any other serious issues, heart issues, etc. You have to manage them properly with a physician so that you can actually begin to manage your asthma properly. Well, that makes sense. You have to try and avoid asthma triggers. And for every person, their triggers will be slightly different. Okay. Yes, there are certain common triggers that virtually everyone who has asthma has. What are the, what are the common triggers? Smoke is one of the big ones. Car exhaust is another one. Anything that basically creates poor air quality because it's a condition where your air tracts are already sensitive. Right. So if, there may, if there's a smog warning, that's mm-hmm. an issue. Right? It is. Also, very, very strong chemical scents. For example, if we were to walk into a perfume factory, right. if you had asthma, odds are that's going to cause a problem. So the whole thing is what you want to do is work to avoid your trigger specifically. Okay. Don't irritate if you don't have to, essentially. Right. And what you want to do also is try to ensure that anything that you may eat or you may drink also If it's a trigger, you avoid it. Are there foods or drinks that are known to trigger asthma? Different in different people. Okay. There is no universal that I've been able to find. Okay. Now, there is essentially, you look at two different things. You look at the daily preventative treatments, and then you look at the treatment of flare-ups to avoid them. Okay. So where do you want to go next? Do you want to do flare-ups or daily? Let's start with daily. Okay. Because the the goal of daily prevention is just to minimize your symptoms. That's the goal of it. And one, you avoid your triggers. Two, you need to find them. And I know that may sound weird. You actually have to go out of your way to look for things. Find the triggers that people know about. Try them and find them in small amounts to see if they are a trigger of yours. Right. And then add them to your list to avoid. So information is king is what you're saying, right? Always. Knowing knowing what may be problematic for you helps you to avoid what is problematic for you. Correct. Avoid things that are inflammatory because any inflammation throughout your body will also cause inflammation in your respiratory So what are we talking about now? Well, there are pro-inflammatory foods. For example, high-fat foods are pro-inflammatory. Sugar, refined sugar is inflammatory. Now, obviously, I'm not saying go out there, stop eating sugar. Right. Or stop eating any fat. I'm not saying that. I'm saying just dial it back. 
Right. Like everything else, every conversation I think you and I have had, moderation. it's always been moderation, eat a well-balanced, healthy diet. Right. And those will help with every condition you have, including asthma, because it reduces inflammation. On top of that, you want to also work on stress. Okay. Everyone has stress. Stress is a part of life, especially in our modern world. But too much stress causes inflammation. That inflammation then gets to your airways, causes further restriction. All right. So let's talk about some of the things that can help with reducing stress. So mindfulness is a good one. I find exercise is incredibly helpful. Of course, you've got to be careful if you have asthma, right? I was going to say exercise is a double-edged sword. You want to talk to your practitioner and ensure that you work an exercise plan together Right. Because the right exercise will be great for you, reduce the stress, reduce inflammation also, right. and make you feel better just overall. Right. But the wrong type of exercise or too much of a good exercise and all of a sudden, you've got a flare-up. Right. So my son, for example, couldn't really play high-intense team sports, let's say like soccer, where you know there was, there was a lot of vigorous running. Mm-hmm. That, that triggered him. But he became a black belt, a double black belt in karate because yep. the flow was different, right? He was still physical and he, he still gained strength and ability and, he, you know, it did wonders for him, but it's different. Definitely. And also, I'm sure, an amazing stress reliever. Yes. Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, any martial arts, an amazing stress reliever. But there are certain people, for example, they do Tai Chi. Right. And Tai Chi is wonderful. It's not going to cause you to pass out from no. overexertion, but it's still wonderful it helps with stress, and also it, it does tone the body. Right. It's, it's movement and mindfulness yep. kind of combined into one flowing set of movements. Definitely. And then there's your favorite, yoga. Right. Yoga is wonderful. They've, they've done lots of work with yoga and asthma and allergies, and they found it does help. Well, because a large component of yoga is breath work. Right. And, you know, breathing in a certain manner through your nose, through your mouth, it allows you to sort of monitor and regulate your heartbeats. So there's a lot there's a lot to it. And obviously, there's a huge mindfulness component to to yoga. Definitely. And what we have found also in our own household is that um, and it may sound a little odd here. Showering. Okay, Showering actually helps. It's relaxing. It helps with stress, and at the same time, it cleans off of you any potential allergens, environmental allergens that you've been exposed to. Hmm. So it's a double sword. I wouldn't have thought about that. Okay, so let's talk about flare-ups. First thing, realize flare-ups are going to happen. Yes. It is inevitable. The whole point is to minimize both their frequency and their intensity. Okay. And what we can do, number one, is take a daily anti-inflammatory supplement. Right. And when you're talking about supplements, especially with asthma, you want to go for the cleanest you can just to make sure there's no potential triggers in your supplement in any way. So what I suggest, for example, is certified organic turmeric capsules. And the reason I go for certified organic is you look on the side of the label, if it's organic and it has the certification stamp on it, you know what's on the label is actually in the product. Right. And you'll see if there's something there that's a trigger for you. Obviously, avoid it. Move on to another brand. Okay. But if there's nothing on there that looks like it's something that's a trigger, you're fine. Reduce your consumption of any inflammatory foods. These include artificial flavors, artificial colors, junk foods, processed foods, and high-fat foods. Mm -hmm. Increase your consumption of anti-inflammatory foods as long as they're not triggers. Right. Those would be tomatoes, polyunsaturated oils, which are the omega-3 rich oils, fish oil, green leafy vegetables, nuts, fatty fish, and a variety of brightly colored vegetables. Keep your airways open with regular exercise if approved by your physician. Yes. Keep your stress in check. We've already chatted about that one. 
and then embrace green, chlorophyll. Chlorophyll is a natural airway opening. Hmm. It opens your airways naturally. It's safe. Use a high-quality chlorophyll liquid supplement daily. Now, the big thing I want to impart on everyone before we leave here is that even if you take all of the measures we've spoken about today, flare-ups will happen. And remember, all the preventatives won't stop a flare-up once it starts. No, you still Go have, for medication. And refer to your doctor. You, if you have to take uh, steroids, you have to take steroids. Definitely. It's serious. Don't let it go. Fantastic. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. We're going to hear back from you next month, though, right? Definitely. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll figure out how to get joy from your messy, dirty kitchen on the tonic. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. Are you one of the many Canadians dealing with chronic pain, anxiety, IBS, and other such conditions? Are you interested in finding out more about your options with medical cannabis? Then join one of 22,000 patients nationwide who've let Harvest Medicine be their trusted cannabis healthcare partner and provider. It's never been easier to access Harvest Medicine's healthcare team, education, and resources. Simply download the HMed Connect app from the Android and Apple stores and book your appointment today. To find out more, visit hmed.ca or download the app. That's HMED Connect from your app store. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. My next guest, Carolyn Tanner Cohen, is owner and founder of Delicious Dish Cooking School in Toronto. She's been teaching cooking classes for 17 years. She has a science background, which edifies her interest in health and fueling the body with foods that will optimize health. Carolyn teaches people how to meal plan, eat healthy, cook with natural whole foods, and organize their kitchen. She teaches new cooks, seasoned cooks, university students who are living on their own for the first time, nannies, housekeepers, and everyone in between. For more information about Carolyn, visit deliciousdish.ca. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Jamie. I have a confession to make. Yep. My wife, Naomi, got me into watching a show on Netflix. Okay. And I found it fascinating. Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Oh, I love her. Obsessed. Yep. Based on her best-selling book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Yeah, awesome. And, and in fact, she is my wife's spirit animal. Because, oh, really? Because Naomi, I, I wouldn't say she's OCD, but she's, you know, everything has a place in our house. And does she keep it like that? Well, no, that's where I come in. Okay. I mess everything up. Okay, okay. So, no, because I'm not... I, so, I'm always fascinated with people who are super organized because I am not. So, today we're going to discuss how to apply the condo methods to the kitchen. Yeah. Because I think there's something to For, having absolutely. A, a working, flowing kitchen. 
Absolutely. that's neat and organized. So let's start with what are the principal methods and, and aspects of Mary Kondo's theories? Okay. First of all, she's called the Japanese Organization Consultant. Yes. And her short form is Kondo Marie. Yes. Okay. She says prioritizing what sparks joy is the heart of kitchen organization. Right. So joy. You, yeah. It, it, joy is the word. Yeah. Okay. So if it doesn't spark joy, get rid of it. And what does that mean practically? Okay. So practically, I like to say that clean kitchen, clean eats. Right. So I take it one step further. Okay. I, I always took it to mean when I'm watching this yep. it is like if you have a utensil or a food or a condiment or whatever, and it's just sitting in your kitchen and you're not using it. Get rid of it. It it can't be bringing you joy no. because it's just sitting there, right? No. Unless unless it's like an heirloom or something that was given to you and there's extra yeah. meaning to it. But you don't need to keep it in your drawer no, you if don't. it's an heirloom. Right, exactly. Okay. So a lot of what she does is organizing and decluttering, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I want to just say one thing. So sure. I also have a rule of thumb in my kitchen yep. that if you have a utensil, let's say, that serves one purpose, yep. what do you need it for? Buy something that serves more than one purpose. So in other words, really? like, well, sort of. Okay. So in other words, the microplane grater. I love the microplane. Right. So it could be a zester. Yes. It could be a garlic press uh, as such, a garlic zester. Yeah. Ginger. A, a ginger, lemon, chocolate, um, cheese. Parmesan cheese. Yeah. Whereas a garlic press is just a garlic press. We have this wonderful garlic press, and I told Naomi that if we ever split up, I get the garlic press. Okay, that's a good idea. Okay, because honestly, it's the best garlic press ever. <laughs> but it's a one-time thing, so she's probably well, happy to get rid of the no, one-time we, thing. No, but we cook with a lot of garlic, though. But then just use your microplane, and then know. get rid of that bulky garlic press. Okay, so where should we start? Well, first of all, when you walk into your kitchen, you want to see a clean space. For sure. Okay, so it means you got to start with your countertops. Okay, so what do you recommend? Okay, so I recommend having your countertops completely clear of most things. For instance, you have this pretty little, cute little two jars full of flour and sugar. Really? You're baking that often? You eat that much sugar? Get yeah. rid of them. You don't need them. Right. Right? Put those in the pantry. You are going to bake. Yes. You are going to eat sugar. Right. But it doesn't need to be your primary counter space real estate I'm trying to think what we have on the counter. The only thing we have is a toaster oven. That's great. And if you eat toast, leave your toaster oven there. Well, it gets it gets used every day, right? Right. And if you don't eat toast, you don't need your toaster oven right. on your counter. Well, you know, space is usually at a premium, right? You want to for sure. You, you want like we do a lot of food prep. We cook every day, right? So having clear space in order to chop or do or you whatever need it is, you need, you need you it. You need it. Okay, so where do, where would you go from there? I really would go to the fridge because okay. that's something that you use every day, all day, and you open numerous times a day. Okay. Okay, so my rule of thumb, first of all, is to keep your fridge 30% empty. I know that sounds a little wild. Well, that usually happens. I call it the Friday fridge because yeah. I, I do the shopping on the weekend. Yeah. The Friday fridge looks... As though, like, you know, there's nothing to eat, right? right? Whereas the Sunday fridge is, it's stocked. There's no 30%. There's like 1% room. Right. But if you actually cleaned out your fridge before you put your Sunday stock back in your fridge, yeah. it would probably be 30% empty because you have all those jam jars and pickles and capers right. and this and that. That's really what I'm talking right. about. Right. It's the dead zone with yes. stuff that's been sitting in your fridge, yes. right? So, yes. okay. So where do you start? Do okay. you just pull everything out? Well, first of all, I start by shopping. And what I mean by that is I shop for bins, like those sliding bins. They're almost like sliding drawers. And I actually put those onto my shelf. So I'll have one or two of those in the fridge. So then I will empty out my whole fridge, clean it. I'm assuming you have your method of cleaning. Right. Get rid of everything and then start fresh. 
put all your jams, your pickles, your capers, your mustards, and all of that into the fridge drawer or the new fridge drawers, the bin drawers, and label them. So in other words, if you could only see the tops of them, put a little sticky note or painter's tape. I always have a Sharpie and painter's tape in my cutlery drawer. Okay. Okay. And write on it, raspberry jam, capers, just a little bit on the lid so that when you're hunting for something, you have it, but you only have one capers. You only have one honey mustard. Yeah, I, I think we have three horseradishes. In, yeah, uh, you definitely don't need three. Right. <laughs> okay. And, and I presume you're looking at stale dates too, right? Absolutely. Stale dates are the first thing. Once you find that everything is good, then you have to decide which is going to take up the best real estate in your fridge. Right. By then, when you've thrown out your two and three horseradishes, your fridge will be 30% empty. And then you have room for leftovers, for fresh fruit, for fresh products, for something that somebody has given you, something like that. Right. I find with the bins for fruits and vegetables, those are culprits too, right? Yeah. Because like for me, I like a nice firm pear. And once it tips over into too mealy, or I, I leave it, right? But really, if it. I'm not going to eat it, I should yeah. be getting rid of get it. Get rid of it. Is it sparking you joy? No. Then get rid Mushy of it. Mushy pears do not spark Me joy. neither. I like a firm pear too, by the way. Okay. So let, let's move on from the refrigerator because we've got other things yeah. to cover. So, yeah. so where would you go next? I would go to the freezer. Okay. So okay. Let's talk freezer. Your freezer is not a tomb. So empty it. Yep. And then start putting things back. Okay. So let me just start off by saying all nuts and seeds yes. and nut flowers should live in the freezer. Okay. So now you got to make room for that. Yes. Now, hopefully some of you have like a giant freezer in your basement or stash away somewhere, and you're not just using your main kitchen little freezer. But if you are, that's fine. You should not be buying things in bulk, like going to, I mean, I'm a big fan of Costco, by the way, but buying things in bulk, unless you're serving a massive family or you're running a little cooking school or something like that, it's kind of useless because it ends up going stale or a freezer burn before you could actually use it. Okay. So I like buying in bulk, but in small quantities, like maybe at a bulk barn or something like that. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. So your freezer. Now, when you freeze liquids, just as a little FYI, it's better to freeze liquids in a square or rectangular sided, straight sided container as opposed to a round. Right. Because it's going to expand to the space and then you can stack them and, and organize better. Exactly. Yep. And when you do freeze soups or something like that, leave the lid open, freeze it. And then when it's frozen, put the lid on it. Right. And then you'll avoid the concept or the risk of having your container, even if it's plastic, crack on you. Right. Okay. So you do want to freeze so things could stack in your freezer. Yes. Straight-sided. They stack better. They take up better space. You don't have all the space around them. Okay? Yep. At label and date. Yep. Okay? Month, day, and year. Are you labeling with when it goes in or when it needs to come out? No, when it goes in. So okay. I made this soup on May 1st. 2019, and you know that in six months from now, it's done. Gotcha. Okay, six months in the freezer, even if it hasn't gone bad, it's going to taste stale. Right. And it's going to taste freezer burned. Right. Okay? So your freezer is not a tomb. Gotcha. Okay? All right, let's move away from the freezer. Yeah. Where do we go next? Let's go to the pantry. Right. Okay? Yep. I like airtight stackable storage containers. So where do you get those? If you're not, if you don't have a Tupperware agent, where do you get those? Right. Okay? I actually go to a, a restaurant supply store and use the ones from the restaurant supply store. And what I love about them is that they usually have a milliliter measurement on the sides. Right. So or even like a whatever it is, a measurement on the side. So my rule is, let's say I'm putting a bag of flour in my container. I make sure that bag of flour fits perfectly 
with no extra space in that container. And then I empty the entire container before I refill it with another bag of flour. So in other words, I'm not going to have enough room for half a bag of flour. Then where do I store that half a bag of flour? Okay, I got you. Okay, okay. So I do the same thing with sugar. I do the same thing with everything. Okay. For the most part, labeled. And then you have containers that have miscellaneous things like green, like um, beans or different kind of rice or different color quinoa or something like that. Then I'll have one large container. Yes. That has all the small little bags in it. Correct. Okay. I also have those same fridge drawers, those bin drawers, and they'll hold all my half bags of pasta. Okay. Okay, because we have tons yeah, of those, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, so then you know that, and label that little bin drawer pasta. Right. Okay, so then you know when you need to find your pasta, you're not emptying it all over the place and everything's falling all over your head. And we have a snack drawer because you don't want to start mixing snacks with other sorts of things because that's when there's spillage and ruin. Absolutely. And you just like, snacks are what you're grabbing for the most. Yes. So you might as well put them together and make them accessible. Absolutely. And I go back to my painter's tape. Okay. Painter's tape is amazing. It comes right off. Yeah. Relabel, relabel, put another one, change the label, have it in your drawer with a Sharpie. I love a label maker, but the reality is, is that by the time you use like two or three spools of labels, they're very expensive. Right. And you're throwing them out and they leave sticky residue on. Right. So painter's tape is great. Okay. We have time to cover one last okay. topic. Spices. The spice rack. Yes. Okay. That is amazing. Okay. So... When I moved into my new house, I thought this would be great for spice rack redemption. Okay. Okay? So I started thinking about different ways of putting my spices in there. And the end of the day, the best way for me was to get wide mouth mason jars. Yes. Of all different sizes, yes. 125s, 250s, then 500s, and one liters. So if you use like tons of peppercorns, they go in a one liter. Right. If you use just a tiny amount of cardamom, it goes inside the well, 125. Well, uses more than a little bit of cardamom, right? Exactly. It's not the same as salt yes, and pepper. Yes, it is not. And then you label them on the side and the tops. Okay, so you could see it from the top. No point in you know going back through the, the directs of your cupboard to find a little bit of cardamom. Great advice. Okay? Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Thank you for coming in. You're going to come back next month, right? Absolutely, June. Yeah, and we're going to discuss summer entertaining. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll learn how to age mindfully on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. If you're a regular listener to The Tonic, you know that each year I host a fantastic yoga festival called OMTO. It's a full day of outdoor yoga, movement, and mindfulness classes in celebration of the summer solstice. Please join presenting sponsors Tonic Magazine and the Lung Association Ontario at the Distillery District on Sunday, June 23rd for a truly magical day. For more information, please visit omto.ca. That's O-M-T-O dot This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest is local yogi Tracy Sagrati. She has a post-secondary education in biology, molecular biology, nursing, acute care, public health education, and Swedish and Thai massage. She specializes in training yoga teachers, and she's the co-founder of Evolve Retreat, a phenomenal opportunity for women to celebrate and grow together in Costa Rica. 
For more information, you can visit EvolveRetreat.org. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jamie. I'm so happy to be here. We have some ideas about aging, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and I yeah. think our ideas about aging, or at least your theory is, the ideas about aging is actually manifesting in aging or less aging, correct? Yeah, I mean, the way that you perceive aging can have a positive or negative effect on the experience of aging. So, you know, if a person approaches their life cycles absorbing negative stereotypes, and so some of the negative stereotypes about aging, you know, really include a loss of an an idea that we lose our physical or cognitive function or a loss of usefulness or purpose in society. You know, some people um, buy into the the idea that aging makes you less adaptive or less creative, less productive, less sexually engaged, or even that aging makes you more religious or more lonely and more depressed. And so, unfortunately, you know, when we buy into those negative stereotypes, and and often it's largely unconscious, you know, we, we... buy into belief systems without realizing that we're actually doing it. But the consequence of that is that we then make choices about our health that confirm that stereotype that we've bought into, right? Right. So we believe that aging makes us X, Y, and Z, all those things I listed, and so we socially isolate ourselves. And we think we're less creative or that we're less able to do things, so then we stop trying new things. Right. You know, we spend more time alone, and so we're constantly just uh, ruminating, you know, going over the past over and over in our head or just anxiously fearing the future. You know, we make poor food choices, and then just overall, there's reduced health-seeking behaviors. You know, we don't go to the doctor when we need to. We don't go to the dentist. Um, we don't engage in complementary care because we, we get into this, like, nihilistic state. And so what mindfulness Mindfulness research has showed is that a mindfulness practice will do the exact opposite, right? So it will reduce that tendency towards negative stereotypes towards aging, and it will take us in the exact opposite direction towards a feeling of wellness and well-being in the face of aging and moving through those later developmental stages. Does it do so by ignoring those stereotypes or actively working against the stereotypes? Because some of those stereotypes are grounded in a little bit of reality, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's a little, I don't want to say both because it's not, so mindfulness does allow you to actively work against those stereotypes. Okay. So number one, we'll go through that first, and then I just I want to address that word ignoring that you used. Okay. Um, so number one is it really increases focus on one item instead of allowing the mind to wander. And there was this great study from Harvard, and maybe you can put it in the show notes because uh, right. it's so interesting, which looked at the fact that when you focus on the breath, right, and most in the aging population, the most practical mindfulness exercise that's taught is just focus on the breath, right? So when you focus on the breath, it stops the mind from wandering and you're way more happy. And the study also showed that the average person spends about 50% of the time with the mind wandering, and the more your mind wanders, the more unhappy you are, right? Hmm. So you can imagine as you age and you go through the stage where you're shifting maybe out of full-time work and spending more time on your own, there could be a tendency for the mind to wander. And if we know that wandering equals less happiness 
and less wandering equals more happiness, and you can actively fight against it by using this mindful breath technique, right? Right. I, I mean, I wouldn't have necessarily made the connection between mind wandering and, and, and sort of negativity. I, you know, I think when you're younger, perhaps the mind wandering is you're dreamy, you know, you're, you're having daydreams. Yeah. And I guess that changes when you get older, right? Yeah, absolutely. Although this study actually looked at a cross section of the population. Okay. So I think that's kind of, it kind of counters sort of your intuitive sense. And I agree with you. I mean, there are times when the mind is wandering or when the mind is bored, for example, right. that that can be productive in terms of creativity. 100%. Um, you know, you know, but I think it's when the mind is going into rumination, right? right? So it's wandering into a place where it's going over past-oriented situations or creating anxious fantasies about the future. I think those are the two states that are really predictive of less happiness. I agree. The second way that mindfulness really sort of fights against those negative stereotypes about aging is acceptance, right? So a lot of our unhappiness is about our resistance to what is now or what is real. And just as you said a few moments ago, I mean, the reality of aging is that the body does get older. It does begin to decay. And eventually, you know, we are all going to die, right? And so there's a reality to that. And to say that that's not going to happen would be kind of a magical illusion and just not true. And so by really teaching people to approach the present moment with openness and curiosity, they can approach their aging body with openness and curiosity and begin to make decisions that are pro-social and and active coping mechanisms, like engaging in techniques that maybe they wouldn't have before, right? So if you had someone who is, say, a marathon runner, and they suddenly, it's just too hard on their bodies to run marathons, with an open attitude of curiosity, they might then try, you know, something like swimming or aqua aerobics or something that can allow them to stay active without the same kind of harm on their body. Right. No, no. And, and an example, I mean, you don't even, you could be middle-aged to make those decisions. Right? Absolutely. Uh, you, you know, like runners, and, and I was running for a while. Yeah. Eventually, it's either the knees, the hips, or the ankles. And, yeah, absolutely. And you, you, you can't continue to run if those issues arise and, exactly. and it becomes chronic. So yeah. you have to find something else, perhaps spinning yeah. or yeah. yoga. And, and yeah. those are decisions I've already had to make. And, yeah. and me as well. And you kind of have to say to yourself, okay, you could be upset that you're no longer running or you could say, hey, I really enjoy spinning. I burn just as many calories and I get to listen to music and yada, yada, yada. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the ability to actually make that choice, right, keeps you, it also keeps you socially engaged, right? So you're, you're going out, you're interacting with your environment, you're in groups of people and all of that's going to contribute to happiness as well. I know that one of the things you're gonna, you are talking about is sort of keeping an open mind and continuing to learn. And I think what happens is as you get older, you tend to rely on your past experience, right? We call it wisdom. And wisdom has incredible value. Absolutely. As long as you're not closing your mind off to new thoughts and ideas. Not every past experience necessarily edifies you for something that's new. Exactly. Uh, and I think it's incredibly important to keep your brain functioning and learning new things because otherwise you become too dependent on your wisdom and then I think it can lapse into closed-mindedness. Yeah, yeah. Well, it just lapses into this myopic point of view. Right. And, then, and yeah, no, absolutely. I totally agree. And, you know, it's interesting. One of the ways that mindfulness can really help people continue to learn, right, so that they can keep that open mind is that it has great positive effects on memory and attention. Hmm. 
so, you know, one of the key struggles that aging people find is that, you know, they perhaps don't want to go into an environment where they are learning new things because their attention span, they feel like their attention span has been affected or they're worried about their memory. And there was a study that looked at those with long-term meditation practices. And what it showed is that there was sometimes much less or no age-related decline in either attention or memory, right? And so when you feel cognitively strong, when you feel cognitively like, you know, you've got it, right. you can go, there's no problem going into a learning environment. A learning environment doesn't feel threatening. No, and I, and I think I really do believe it's crucial. It really is. It really is. It also keeps you connected to the younger population. Right. Right? And so that dynamic interaction is going to keep you feeling creative and involved. And it's also going to keep the younger population connected to the wisdom of those who have come before them, who have a broader life view, who have had more experience with business and relationships and friendships and just what happens over the long haul of life. Right. I agree that having that in- engaged nature mm-hmm. lends a credibility to anybody who's looking to you for your wisdom, right? Absolutely. I mean, like if you can't understand the new, then yes. I don't think anybody who is newer than you is going to expect you to have wisdom that they can glean. So if you want to play that role and you want to be able to remain relevant intellectually, yeah. I think it's critical that you continue to learn. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah, because you have to find a way to connect to them. Right. You have to be able to speak to their language. If they can't connect to you, how can they receive anything that you have to offer? And we all have so much to offer, but it it does require that we keep learning. And mindfulness is a critical component in allowing our memory and attention to stay uh, really vital so that we can engage in those new environments that might feel threatening but can really lift us up and make us feel purposeful. Okay, so for those who might be interested, uh, we only have time really for sort of one little area. Yeah. If somebody were to get started, with mindfulness to stave off anti-aging, what would you recommend? So the first thing that I would recommend is to do it every single day. So set a timer, start by lying on your bed. Many people, especially if they're aging, are not comfortable in a seated position on the floor. So lie down on your bed, set a timer for five minutes and focus your attention on your breath as you breathe in, as you breathe out. As soon as you notice your thinking, you just come back to your breath, notice you breathing in and breathing out. That's it. Nothing else. As soon as the timer goes off, you get up and go about your day. Every week, increase it by one minute. How long should they continue to increase it by? Is there an upper limit? You can stop at 20 minutes. It depends on how busy your day is. My general rule of thumb is I want you to do it every day. It's more important that you do it every day than that you do it for a longer period of time, only a couple times a week. So if your upper limit in your day in terms of the competing interests on your time is, say, 20 minutes, then, you know, try to get to 20 minutes and you can definitely stop there and you'll get tons of value. If you can get to 30 minutes, that's even better. It doesn't really need to be longer than 30 minutes because by that point, once you've reached 30 minutes, you'll find that, and if you're doing it every day, you'll find that as you go about your day, you're going to be more mindful in everything else that you do. You're eating, you're walking, you're interacting with other people. It will just lend itself to all of your other activities. Fantastic. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Such a pleasure, Jamie. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. 
Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Our new sponsor, CanPrev, is a great natural health company, homegrown right here in Canada. What I love about CanPrev is that they take the time to choose the best quality ingredients and formulations that empower Canadians to take an active role in their own health and wellness. New from CanPrev is their unique vitamin K2 called K2 Vital. It's produced from soy-free plant oils in a way that yields a pure 100% transform of K2 that is 100% usable by our bodies. They also take a lot of care to produce educational resources. To learn more about this misunderstood vitamin, you can download their ebook at vitamink2.ca. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. In addition to being a lawyer, my next guest has been writing for Tonic Magazine for over five years. And since 2015, she's written the very popular cookbook review column, My Wife Naomi. Hi, sweetheart. Hi. I'm going to describe a scenario here. Somebody decides they want to cook for the first time. It might be their first home or they have a new cookbook that they want to try. And they pick something that they want to make. And then they realize almost immediately that they have to go shopping because they're missing an ingredient or an implement that they need. So we're calling on your expertise today to discuss implements and food staples and cookbooks in terms of must-haves, should-wants, and don't-needs. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. So let's start with implements. So what do you say the new chef or the new person outfitting their kitchen has to have? Okay, so I'm not going to list every last thing, but basically, you know, you need to have spoons, you know, spoon, spatula, measuring cups, good knives, a colander for pasta or other things, good nonstick pans, bottle opener, wine opener, can opener, a vegetable peeler. If you like to bake, you should have a mixer, a stand mixer, cake pans, pie plates, baking sheets, those basic things that you can cook. Right. With. Okay. Now, those are the must-haves. What would you recommend for somebody who's going to be doing some cooking from cookbooks that you find that is handy? And this is arguable. Some of these should-wants, nice-to-haves, I might say are must-haves. But, you know, this comes up when the kids go away to school and they kind of say, I don't have a grater. (laughs) I think a grater is one of those must-haves. But, you know, maybe it isn't. A scale. Scale is good to have if you want to weigh your food, if you like to bake. A juicer, something to squeeze lemons and limes. We use a lot of citrus. A microplane grater. Yeah, that's particularly handy. You wouldn't think it is, but I think I use that utensil every single day. Every day. Every day for zest, for cheese, for ginger or garlic, nutmeg. Very useful to have the microplane grater, and that's something you might not think of. A thermometer, you know, a meat thermometer or candy thermometer. Nice to have. A box grater, if you don't want the... I would uh, put the box grater ahead of the thermometer. And they're cheap, but just to shred vegetables quickly, coarser grates, it's handy to have. Yes, and these are not in order of importance. These are random. Yeah, I disagree with you with the thermometer. They almost always break, and I don't trust them ever. So if I don't trust the utensil, I'm not going to use it. A Cuisinart, you know, a chopper, an electric grater or chopper is very useful to have. You want to shred cheese, shred Brussels sprouts, chop a whole bunch of onions. It's just way easier if you have a chopper, even a big one and a small one. Yeah, we have both. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the the problem with the big one is once you get it dirty, it's a big to-do 
you know, it, we have a dishwasher. Not everybody does, but you know, it, it ends up going in there. But it takes a lot of space. Whereas a, a small chopper, you can do a full can of tomatoes in a small chopper, which I didn't realize until I tried it. And you can't. Yeah, and it costs twenty five dollars or something like that. The small one. It, it, yeah. No, it seems to have broken quickly, but it was. It's useful. I uh, so I would also say nice to have muffin tins if you like to make muffins, cupcakes. You can make a lot of things, even mini meatloaves and muffin right. tins, and little squeezy bottles. Squeezy bottles right. are useful, too, for dressing. You want to make homemade salad dressing, we keep them in squeezy bottles. And also, uh, anytime you're applying, let's say, a chocolate sauce mm-hmm. to a dessert and you want it to not sort of get everywhere, having a squeezy bottle can be handy. Mm-hmm. So those are nice to have. And they're cheap. Very, like a dollar each. Yeah, very cheap. So don't need in the yeah. last category. And some people might disagree with me. But these appliances, instant pots, slow cooker, pressure cooker... I don't think you need them. If you have one and you love it, that's great. But I think a lot of people buy them and then they don't use them. It's the type of thing where, you know, you get excited because they're shiny and then you really question how often do you use them. And some people use their Instapots all the time and their slow cookers. They have families, they're working, they just set it aside. It makes their stuff for them. But Yeah, if it works for you, that's great. But if you're trying to figure out how to stock your kitchen, I wouldn't rush out and get that. Yep. Pizza ovens, you know, these things, smokers, ice cream maker. We use ours, but I don't think you need an ice cream maker. A sifter. I don't think I used to have a sifter. Now I just use the colander. I use the little sieve to the be sieve. A sift. Yeah. yeah, you don't need a special sifter, and you don't need cake decorating things like piping bags and all that, unless you really like to bake and that's your specialty. In which case, use it. But otherwise, don't need cake decorating stuff for sure. Okay, let's move on to pantry items. If you were gonna send somebody shopping for their initial buy to make sure that they could cook in the house. What would you send them to get? Okay, so salt, kosher salt, and sea salt. So just get both of those things because the sea salt is finer. A pepper and a pepper grinder, extra virgin olive oil, vinegar, vanilla. And I would say... We have a bunch of different vinegars, right? Yeah, I know, but this is the basics. This is like your your basics. Some sort of sweetener, honey, agave, whatever, even sugar. Maple syrup. Maple syrup. Parmesan cheese. To my mind, that's a staple. And onions and garlic. You could do a lot of things with those basic pantry items. Yes, I agree. I would add, if you have stuff like canned beans, canned tomatoes, boxed consomme or stock... Having some things like pasta or rice on hand means that you can flush out most meals. I would add those. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, there's many things that are always in our pantry, including nut butters. Let's skip ahead to the should wants. Nice to have, should want, flaked salt. You know, salt is very important. uh, Finishing Finishing salt. salt, nice to have. Other kinds of peppers, like pepper flakes. We have so many different kinds of peppers. We do. Cayenne, Esplet pepper, Aleppo pepper, red chili flakes. We use all of them. Right. I find a lot them. of dried peppers. Yeah. Yeah. So I like to have all those things because they're all slightly different. Smoked paprika. There's a few spices that I would say oregano, thyme, smoked paprika, cumin. I would put and cinnamon. You should have them. Yep. I agree. Rosemary yep. also. Dried coriander. Yep. You might not think about espresso powder. Espresso powder is really helpful for baking. I put espresso powder in anything that has chocolate. So chocolate chip cookies, cake, I put some espresso powder in. It's cheap. It doesn't go bad. That's a good thing to have. Okay. What are some things that people think that they need, but they probably don't need? Unless, of course, a recipe calls for it. 
Right, so flavored oils. Not a big fan of flavored oils or flavored vinegars. I right. find they're too limiting. You can add flavor. You know, I don't need them for my dressings. So nice to have uh, different kinds of vinegars, but you don't need specifically flavored vinegars. I also don't think you need spice blends. You can make your own spice blend and you may or may not like it. You know, I find we often don't finish the spice blends. I mean, we've bought Indian spice blends from time to time, right. but I can kind of make them too, as long as I have the ingredients. Expensive spices like saffron, Again, if that's something that you cook with regularly, use it, but it's not something you usually No, need and to it have. is prohibitively expensive. Even mm-hmm. vanilla beans are very expensive. You know, vanilla extract of itself is expensive, but probably a better option if you're using pure vanilla extract. Right. I use vanilla all the time, yeah. you know, for everything. Spices like cardamom, dried mint, some spices are better fresh than yes. dried. And so dried mint, I'm not a fan dried of dried basil mint. is not dried, great. Dried basil, I don't like at all. Dried parsley, I don't like at all. So I'd rather just get those fresh when I need them. Let's move on to some books. So if somebody were interested in having a few cookbooks for reference, what would you recommend to them that they absolutely should get? Sure. And, I, and I'm being a little less specific here, but it's good. I think if you're starting, you should have an all-purpose cookbook, you know, like The Joy of Cooking or Mark Bittman's How to Cook Everything, like something that just covers everything. So if you don't have a lot of space. I I call them encyclopedias of cooking, right? And it'll teach you how to make simple stuff like a bechamel sauce or a quick tomato sauce or a meatloaf. And it will cover um, desserts, breakfast, everything like that. It is also helpful to have an all-purpose baking book like my Dory Greenspan baking book, which I talked about on the show many times because that's my go-to. I I look at that one first. So I think that's a good one. Again, if there's a particular cuisine you like, so fundamentals of Italian cuisine, so Marcella Hazan or if you like French, some fundamental cookbook is helpful to have. And I also think have some home recipes, whether it's on recipe cards or on your computer, your mother's or grandmother's recipes. You should have those. You'll use them if you yes. like them. You know, well, you important. have you have an entire I folder do. that's actually somebody started for you. Was that a wedding my present? Sister, no, my sister put it together, the Naomi cookbook. But then somebody did give me a selection of their own recipes as a wedding present, too, which is part of it now. Right. Yeah. So having that in one spot can be handy, too. So you're not racing around trying to find it. Yeah. Okay, what other recommendations do you have for cookbooks? So if you've had the same cookbooks for a long time, in terms of nice to have or should want, it's good to update a little every once in a while because trends change, right. food changes. If you want to update you know, what you eat, you should just buy a cookbook every once and again. You know, like vegetable-focused cookbooks that are out now. There's so many, like our Jelena cookbook, which we love. Like, that's a great one. Update your cookbooks. Good idea. And any new cuisines you like, you want to try. Another one, building blocks, like salt, fat, acid, heat. Great new cookbook. Interesting to Very, me. very scientific mm-hmm. approach to cooking. And don't need anything fussy. Unless you really want to learn about fermentation, don't buy the Noma Guide to Fermentation. Not necessary. Not necessary to buy multiple books by the same author. You know, only buy cookbooks that you will actually use. That's my advice. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. That's all the time we have, but you'll be back next month, right? Yes, of course. Excellent. Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomerradio.ca and thetonic.ca. For great articles written by Joel Thuna and Naomi Bussin, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. 
or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss how allergies break barriers down, outdoor eating at restaurants, safe dating protocols, and cruciferous vegetables. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.